Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. This is Karen. And this is Kathy. Today, we will be discussing episode 48 and 49 of Hou Gong Zhen Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. If you haven't listened to our intro to the podcast or intro to the drama episodes, please do so. Last week, we saw how terrible life was for our main character, Jin Huan, at the Buddhist nunnery. In these two episodes, we squeeze in a complete romance movie. The 17th prince really has to work for his girl. This probably is the most cringe parts of the entire drama. Like I've said previously, I don't really care for these few episodes, but there are some historical components to these episodes, at least in episode 49, which are quite interesting. At the end of the last episode, Jin Huan finds out that the Empress Dowager is trying to find a wife for the handsome 17th prince. She doesn't really react, but everyone around is upset at her or her lack of reaction. Let's start from there. The 17th prince, Guo Jun Wang, comes to personally deliver the news to Jin Huan of his potential marriage. He flat out tells her that he will not accept the match. He will persevere until the woman he does want to marry changes her mind. Jin Huan coldly rejects his professions of affections, even stating that they should stop meeting in the future. She knows what he's hinting at, but is deflecting. Aw, poor guy. Fortunately for him, he receives a chance to shine not long after. It's wintertime, and Jin Huan is in the nunnery, but it is evident that she is sick. She's coughing quite heavily. Right then, a whole group of nuns barge in, led by the cruel Jing Bai. You know, whenever this nun is in the picture, nothing good will happen. Sure enough, the nun Jing Bai immediately tries to kick Jin Huan out of the nunnery. She accuses Jin Huan of having Fei Lao, or tuberculosis, which is a bad omen for the nunnery. She says, who will come pray at the temple anymore? Who will donate to this ancient establishment? All of the other nuns concur. In order to save their temple, Jin Huan needs to be out. To add insult to injury, the nun Jing Bai spots the bowl of swallow's nest in Jin Xi's hand. She immediately draws the other nun's attentions to it, declaring Jin Huan a thief. Jing Bai says that only she and the abbess have access to swallow's nest or yan wo. Therefore, Jin Huan must have stolen the swallow's nest. The nunnery cannot tolerate thieves. Jin Huan must leave. Of course, the swallow's nest, which is a Chinese delicacy that has a variety of health benefits according to Chinese medicine, was gifted to Jin Huan by the 17th prince. The ladies cannot disclose that information because it is sort of illegal for him to be gifting her stuff, so they just have to accept these accusations. The abbess arrives, but she's completely useless, 
and、uh, kindly suggests that Zhen Huan move to Lingyunfeng, which is a mountain peak nearby, to regain her health instead of staying here at the nunnery. Sure, let's move this very sick woman out to a mountain peak where she's probably gonna die because of her health. Really smart move, don't you think? Sure enough, as the ladies trek out to this peak, Jin Huan passes out. It's snowing very heavily, but there's not a whole lot that can be done by Jin Huan's maids, Huan Bi and Jing Xi. Jin Huan has a high fever and is too weak to really travel anywhere, especially by foot. So Huan Bi runs off to find help and returns with our knight in shining armor, the Seventeenth Prince. He whisks Chen Huan away to get medical attention. Let's take a second to give a shout out to the MVP of the saga. This is the stern but kind nun Mo Yan, who stands up for Chen Huan and helps move them to the peak. She is really quite a lovely person, even though she's、uh, very intense. She also seems to hate men. There is a story or backstory there that is never explained. Um, but at least she is there to help Jin Huan, so we have to love her for that. Jin Huan is now at the Seventeenth Princess Mountain Estate, Qingliang Tai. She has a very high fever that just won't come down. So what does he do? He goes out to the freezing snow, lays down in the snow to get his body temperature down, with only a very thin layer of clothing on him, and then comes back to hug. Jin Huan to help cool her temperature down, while she is fully clothed, of course. Got to maintain her integrity. I have no idea how this works. I'm not a doctor.、Um, I don't know if this is feasible in trying to help someone reduce their temperature. Regardless, his efforts ultimately pay off. I mean, what would you have expected? Anything otherwise? No. She has to survive. She is the main character. Her fever subsides, and the imperial doctor Wen Shuchu arrives to take care of her. He couldn't come earlier because he was looking after the Empress Dowager Tai Hou. The next bit is kind of funny. The two men, both of whom are in love with Jin Huan, are vying for, I guess, the opportunity to take care of Jin Huan, and are both very ecstatic when she wakes up. Each of them are trying their best to contribute more to her well-being. I'm sitting here and just laughing at this. Jin Huan wakes up and can feel the two men overly attentive towards her, which means she needs to. In Chinese, the term is "bi xian" or avoid unnecessary rumors. When Jin Huan is healthy enough to walk. The seventeenth prince is now sick after his display of、uh, love, gallantry. I don't know. We'll call it that. The seventeenth prince's trusty servant explains everything to Jin Huan, even though he was instructed not to. She's very grateful and decides to visit the seventeenth prince at his quarters, where he is still recovering from his illness. It seems as though she's starting to accept his affections. Going so far as calling him by his name Yunli rather than the more formal Seventeenth Prince. They're having a casual conversation, but guess what? Surprise guests arrive. 
She doesn't have time to escape the room before the guests come in, so Jin Huan hides behind a screen. Who are the guests? Why, it's the emperor and the lovely Jingping, with none other than Jin Huan's daughter Long Yue in tow. That is quite a shock. Jin Huan is absolutely overwhelmed with emotion at hearing her daughter. The emperor is here to check in on the 17th prince after hearing that he's sick. They stay and chat for a short while, just enough for Jin Huan to realize that it's dangerous to open her heart to the 17th prince because there are real ramifications if she does. When the emperor and his family leaves, Jin Huan switches back to calling the 17th prince his formal title and quickly departs to the mountain peak she's supposed to be staying at now that she's healthy, much to the disappointment of the 17th prince. I want to say that this visit by the emperor is probably the least or one of the least plausible things to have happened in this drama. The location where the 17th prince is, is outside of the imperial palace. The emperor said that he was feeling bored so came out for a stroll and walked past the 17th prince's place, which is why they went in. I really don't think that's possible. Anytime the emperor leaves the imperial palace, it's a big deal, especially with concubines and a princess in tow. They also stopped by for like five minutes before leaving. Again, how is this possible or feasible? I really don't think this scene made sense other than needing a plot device to, I guess, scare Jin Huan. That's just my feelings. I also totally didn't realize that Xing Pin, another concubine uh, in the Imperial Harem that we don't really see a whole lot, was in this scene. She doesn't say much and doesn't do much other than making knowing glances when the Emperor brings up the princess's mother. Anyways, that's my rant for this scene. The episode ends with Jin Huan, now healthy, visiting the 17th prince's mother at the Taoist nunnery. If you recall, the 17th prince's mother became a Taoist nun after his father, the former emperor Kangxi, passed away. It's springtime, and who is visiting his mother just as Jin Huan arrives? You guessed it, it's the 17th prince. At the request of the 17th prince's mother, Jin Huan and the 17th prince play a duet. She on the guqin and he on the flute. The 17th prince's mother recites the famous poem Changxiangsi as they play to much emotion. This duet further hints at the emotional connection between the two, um, between Jin Huan and the 17th prince. Sure enough, as we start episode 49, the 17th prince, who is escorting Jin Huan back to her place, outright declares his affections for her. He says she is now free of the imperial palace and can be with anyone she wants. She, on the other hand, states that she doesn't want to have anything to do with royalty. Plus, she's essentially an incomplete body. Her words, not mine, as in she is not a virgin. She does not want to start anything she knows is going to end poorly, which is very fair for her. She was heartbroken by the emperor 
and does not want to endure a similar heartbreak again. The 17th prince is quite insistent, but she shuts him down again. Her resolve doesn't hold for too long, though. One night after Zhen Huan, Huan Bi, and Jin Xi have moved to the mountain peak, a large CGI cat comes to scare the heck out of the ladies. The cat was attracted to caged birds provided to Jin Huan by the imperial doctor to help cheer her up. Who knew that the birds would attract cats? Well, they do, and the ladies are screaming at the cat when the 17th prince bursts in. Again, this is very late at night. It's not like he does anything and the cat just runs away, but he saves the day. Everyone is surprised he's there, but it turns out that he hangs outside their place every night. He's happy to just watch the candlelight of Jin Huan's residence. Can we have a vote on if this is romantic or creepy? Jin Huan doesn't say much this time, though she's evidently moved by this protective behavior. Later on, the 17th prince is hanging outside playing the bamboo flute. It's pouring rain, but he perseveres in wanting to protect Jin Huan by waiting outside. At long last, Jin Huan goes out with an umbrella to accept his affections. He has finally moved her enough for them to be together. He does not care about the fact that she was a concubine, that she had a daughter. He loves her and is just quite happy with her. He is over the moon about her change of heart. He immediately takes Jin Huan to visit his mother again to share the good news. She is quite accepting and is very pleased with the match. Let's pause also to say Jin Huan's concerns are very legitimate. She is quite rational. The two of them can essentially only elope and it will be difficult for her to truly be his wife. He is still a royal and he is a favored brother of the emperor. Won't the emperor say something if his brother just suddenly disappears and or marries somebody? He will say, who did you marry? I want to meet your wife. Also, Jin Huan is breaking her oath as a nun. When she went to the Buddhist temple, Buddhist nunnery, she renounced um, all earthly desires. She's not supposed to have relationships, but she's totally letting that go right, right now. Her hair is down and made up in a simple way, and she's wearing plain and colored clothes, albeit still a bit muted. But the lavender is quite a fitting reflection of her current emotions. And with that, the two lovebirds are finally together. The two people who are least happy about this are the imperial doctor, Wen Shichu, who is still in love with Jin Huan, and Huan Bi, Jin Huan's half-sister slash maid, who is, it seems like, very much in love with the 17th prince. Even though she loves him, she does not try to sabotage her sister's happiness, which I at least give her credit for right now. As for the imperial doctor, Jin Huan makes it very clear that the 17th prince, Yun Li, is no longer an outsider. With that, these two, Jin Huan and the 17th prince, are supposed to live happily ever after. 
He is the picture of the rom-com male lead who, after sacrificing himself and, uh, I'll say this, stalking his love, finally earns her affections. <laughs> Only joking. He is a great catch. Educated, kind, loving, handsome. What more could you want? Well, I wouldn't really want him because he is technically my brother-in-law. <laughs> but hey, what works, works for these two. Well, we have our lovers now paired up. What other things do we have to talk about? The other main storyline in episode 49 is actually quite fascinating. It depicts the downfall of the famous Long Ke Duo. Long Ke Duo is a famous general slash minister that helped the emperor, our current emperor, Yong Zheng, claim the throne. The other guy that helped the emperor is the now deceased Nian Geng Yao. Long Ke Duo has always somewhat been in the background, at least in this drama, especially because Nian Geng Yao took up so much attention, but with things being more slow in the last couple of episodes, it's time for the emperor to get rid of Long Ke Duo. Unlike with Nian Geng Yao, we don't really see what happens with Long Ke Duo at court that leads to his downfall. The emperor simply tells his mother, the empress dowager, that Long Ke Duo must die. Tai Ho, the empress dowager, tries to persuade the emperor otherwise, listing the following reasons. One, Long Ke Duo was crucial in assisting our current emperor in seizing the throne. The emperor already killed Nian Geng Yao, another person who was crucial to his claim. It would send terrible signals to the empire if the emperor kills Long Ke Duo. The emperor would be seen as very ungrateful. The phrase the empress uses is Jiang Tu Si, Zou Gou Peng, which we'll discuss later. The second reason is that Long Ke Duo comes from a heralded Manchu family. He is the younger brother of the Empress Xiao Yiren, who is the third empress of Emperor Kangxi, so the, an empress to the current emperor's father. It would not look well to be killing prominent Manchu officials. The difference with Nian Geng Yao is that he is a Han official, not a Manchu official. Unfortunately, the emperor is unmoved by these remarks. He coldly responds, Long Ke Duo must die because he needs to protect the Empress Dowager's reputation, he being the emperor. Just because my father didn't know what was happening doesn't mean I don't. If you, the Empress Dowager, want to protect my throne and your own title as the Empress Dowager, you know what to do. The Empress Dowager knows there's nothing else she can say to persuade the emperor otherwise, so... She knows what she must do. We'll explain what the emperor means. In the evening, the empress dowager's maid quietly brings the empress dowager to the room where Long Ke Duo is imprisoned. These two finally meet after several years. So what is the history between the two? It turns out that Long Ke Duo and the empress dowager were childhood sweethearts. They've known each other for a very long time. The Empress Dowager and Long Ke Duo reminisce about their past for a while. She is very grateful to Long Ke Duo for helping her move up the ranks in the Imperial Harem and eventually 
helping her son gain the throne. We find out that her original plan was to botch her own selection for the imperial harem and marry Longkudo, but fate didn't go that way, and she ended up a concubine in the palace. The Empress Dowager states that she'll try to request clemency for Longkudo from the Emperor. He is actually incredibly moved. Little does he know that uh, the Empress Dowager did not come for that at all. Her true motive, her true purpose was to kill him. He has a sip of the bamboo wine she brought to console him and promptly dies. What? Okay, I kind of knew this was going to happen. This woman will always put her son first. It was surprising to hear kind of the back and forth, though, between the two. And my original viewing of this um, made me think that she would actually try to spare him. But nope. She tearfully explains everything to Longkotua's body. Apparently, throughout the years, the Empress Dowager secretly hated Longkotua as much as she loved him. He purposefully told her to wear something that would attract the attention of the Emperor in order to become a concubine. He actually didn't want to marry her. He was just using her to secure his sister's who was the empress's position in the imperial harem. The empress dowager knew that Longkodo would never have helped her son capture the throne if his sister had a son. Unfortunately, this sister, the empress, did not bear sons, which is why Longkodo turned around to help the empress dowager's oldest son, our current emperor. What the Empress Dowager wanted to believe was that he, Longkodo, loved her, but deep down she knew he was only using her. She tearfully says that he basically ended her life. She is doing the same for him. Longkodo could have lived, but the Emperor was not going to allow it. In this cruel act, the Emperor forced his own mother to kill her sweetheart for her son's throne, for her own clan's fortunes, and for her own personal reasons, the Empress Dowager agreed. However, this is not something she wanted to do. You'll notice throughout this entire drama, she is worried about the Emperor's reaction towards Longkudo. She tries to steer the conversation away from him and minimize the negativity around him, hoping that this would be enough to save Longkudo from the Emperor. Unfortunately, this doesn't really work. Why? It is heavily implied that Longkodo and the Empress Dowager had more than just a childhood romance and instead had more of an improper relationship. It hinted that the Emperor may even be Longkodo's child, but that is just speculation. The Emperor, though, seems to know about this relationship and cannot tolerate it any longer. Thus, he does everything he can to remove Longkodo. Now, Longkodo is finally dead. The two officials that we were introduced to in the very first episode in the drama are also dead. Great job, Emperor. Again, that's why I like this drama. If you look back to episode one, we see the two officials that are important. Their fates were kind of expressed at that time already. 
This relationship between the Empress Dowager and Longkodua has been constantly hinted at throughout the show. Longkodua would send gifts and actually request to see the Empress Dowager in some instances. We do actually hear um, several times where the Emperor finds out that Longkodua has sent gifts to the Empress Dowager and he becomes pretty annoyed which I believe also accelerates his desire to dispatch Longkodua in this series. The Empress Dowager falls ill after this incident, but the Emperor refuses to see his mother. Shen Meizhuang is the one who stays tirelessly by her bedside. The Empress Dowager is grateful for her actions and, in a rare move, promotes Shen Meizhuang from Guiren, or noble lady, to Pin, or imperial concubine. She is now the same rank as An Lingrong and Qi Pin. What an ungrateful and heartless son! You tell your own mother to kill the person she probably loves and won't see her when she is sick? Once again, if there is the worst person award in this drama, it does not go to Huafei or Huang Hou, the empress. Instead, it should go to our emperor. His actions this episode reinforce what we've said about him before. He is a cunning, he is a ruthless, but also a suspicious man. Anything that is not his way, he will not tolerate. Well, with that ranting, I feel like there's a lot of ranting in this episode. It is time for our analysis. We have three things to discuss today. The first is Chang Xiang Si, which translates to missing you forever or longing. This is the poem that the 17th prince's mother recites at the end of episode 48 when Chen Huan so happens to visit her and the 17th prince is also there. The two of the youngsters play a duet on the guqin and bamboo flute while the mother recites this poem. This is quite a famous poem by one of the most famous Chinese poets in history. It cannot be understated how famous this guy is. This guy's name is Li Bai. If you're Chinese and had to recite poems, or if you've learned Chinese and had to recite poems, you've recited at least one of Li Bai's poems. He's also involved in a lot of shenanigans during the Tang Dynasty that are well documented. He pops up in many, many dramas and many books. The poem Chang Xiang Si is rather lengthy and is actually split into three parts. The mother recites part two of the poem. We won't translate it here um, or recite it because it is very, very long. Essentially, this poem reflects the longing a person feels for the one he or she loves. The poem discusses the sadness of not being with a loved one, the dream state one feels as if the other person were nearby only to be heartbroken when realizing that they are not there, among other things. It is a beautiful poem, though rather dense in meaning. The 17th prince's mother recites this poem as a way to express her feelings towards her late husband, the deceased emperor Kangxi. Clearly, she is sad he is gone. The next phrase we want to analyze is this. 狡兔死, 走狗烹. 
This phrase is mentioned by both the Empress Dowager Tai Ho and Zhen Huan when they hear of the Emperor's intentions to kill Long Keduo. The full phrase goes like this. My translation goes like this. The birds have been shot, so the bow is no longer needed. The wily hare is dead, so let's feast on the dog as well. This is a metaphor for a person who will exploit someone or something until it has lost all value. Then he'll discard that person or thing. This is a rather extreme way of dealing with people. Usually people don't go to such extremes of discarding or eliminating people who are of no value. This phrase certainly has more ominous connotations than simply being something that one does. It is often used to describe an emperor or king's actions towards his advisors or supporters, which is what happens here. This phrase first appears in Shi Ji, or the records of the Grand Historian, written by the Han Dynasty historian Sima Qian in the 90s BC. It appears in the genealogy of Yue Wang Goujian Shijia, or the House of King Goujian of Yue. The political advisor Fan Li makes this remark after helping the King Goujian reclaim his throne, only to be ousted from court and forced to resign. Finally, let's dive a little bit deeper into the figure that is Long Keduo. His birth year is unknown, but he did come from the powerful Tongjia clan under the bordered yellow banners. He was the younger brother of an empress to Emperor Kangxi. Long Keduo rose to prominence during the later years of Kangxi's reign, holding various military and court positions. He is perhaps most famous for his peculiar role during Emperor Kangxi's death. He was the only high-level official present when the emperor died, and he was the one who read the will. There are many conspiracy theories about his role in declaring Emperor Yongzheng the emperor, because he was the one who had the will, and nobody else had it, so people can't verify if what he read was actually the will. If not for Long Kedua's support within the imperial court and the general Niang Yao's military support, the emperor Yongzheng would have had a much more bloody path to the throne. After Yongzheng ascended the throne, which is our current emperor, Long Kedua was promoted to even higher ranks, such as a Yi Gong or a first-class duke. He was in charge of compiling various chronicles of Qing Dynasty and Ming Dynasty history, and was granted untold riches. This all came crashing down in 1727, only one year after the death of Niangong Yao. The emperor charged Long Keduo and his family with 41 crimes, including bribery, corruption, and treason. Long Keduo most likely did build his own faction in court and probably did participate in corruption. Uh, there are records of his family members very much involved in bribery and corruption scandals. The emperor, though, also probably wanted this guy dead for the same reasons he killed Niangong Yao. He could not have someone so powerful within his court. So the emperor found charges to indict him. Long Kedua was placed 
and sentenced to house arrest for life, but he died only a year later in 1728. There is no evidence that he and the Empress Dowager had a fling, so this entire backstory between him and the Empress Dowager is just purely for the benefit of the show. Well, that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to having you with us in the next episode.